now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Guys, I'm all by myself. I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's so lonely. How's it going, Nick? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. That's good. Guys, it's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire. Uh, joined, as always, by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College, who neither of them are with me today. Uh, they're they're out traveling. They're in New York City. The Big New Apple, York as City, some people baby. call it. Together, yeah. Uh, it's terrifying that the two of you are together. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, oh, God. Another fun, busy week, though. It was. There was uh there was a lot of lot of big news this Slash week. Terrifying. Uh, yeah. One of the yeah. Two. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, the resurgence uh, of the walrus comes to mind. The mustache is back. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I mean that's Who else? Wait, wait, what? What? Oh I know I mean, the walrus, the mustache, all of it. It's, it's big news, right? Yes. Uh, we're talking about John Bolton. Yeah, he's uh he's a lot of people are scared. I happen to be one of them. I think you guys are probably in the same boat as well. <laughs> yes, um, very scary. Mine is might as well start with that, I guess. All oh, right, actually, so let's remind. Wait, yeah. Before oh, that, shameless shameless plugs, <laughs> which we never remember to do. Um, uh, if you guys like the podcast, uh, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and Google Play Music and a bunch of other podcasting platforms. Uh, review us and share us through iTunes. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L. Uh, and look up any of the beers that we try on the Untapped app that you can download uh, both on iOS and Android. So I think that's all the plugs. So I'll say it again at the end. Yes, now we can talk John Bolton. So (laughs) on Thursday evening, the president announced that he was replacing his national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, with John Bolton. Uh, John Bolton served as UN UN ambassador during the George W. Bush administration and more recently has been serving as a Fox News contributor. But you will most likely remember him as the owner of the finest diplomatic mustache since Archduke Franz Ferdinand. It's epic. Um, Yes. It would be fair to say that Bolton's appointment, which does not require a Senate confirmation, has terrified many in the foreign policy community, both liberals and conservative. Uh, Bolton is well known for his hawkish foreign policy views, including being one of the most forceful advocates for the 2003 Iraq war. Uh, he continues to argue the U.S. made the right decision going into Iraq and has since argued for a military action against both Iran and North Korea. Uh, l- less than a month ago, Bolton had an article in the Wall Street Journal titled The Legal Case for Striking North Korea First. Uh, conservative columnist George Will had an article this Sunday in the Washington Post in which he called Bolton the second most dangerous American behind only Donald Trump. Uh, Unlike many other Trump appointees, Bolton is smart, strategic, and knows how to get things done. 
Uh, Trump is in the midst of a major administrative overhaul, and it's hard to argue that any change is bigger than the appointment uh, appointment of Bolton. I don't know, guys. Reactions, thoughts. Uh, Nick, you're a little terrified. Phil, where where are you at? I'm I'm a little terrified too. <laughs> um, so I mean, I, uh, there's a, a couple of angles to this that I think we should talk about. One of which is that we should talk about Bolton and how he's concerning. But Bill and I were talking right before we came on about how there is a trend in that this is the fourth or fifth now major um, figure within the Trump administration that has been ousted in the last three and a half weeks. And as we were coming on, the Veterans uh, Administration leader has now been fired and replaced by Trump's physician. Um, But it feels like he's this kind of fits into the Bolton thing. It feels like uh, early on, there was you were saying, Bill, the split between kind of the career professional people and the kind of nationalistic kind of right wing guys. And they've kind of all been ousted on, and, and they've all been replaced. It seems like with just people that Trump knows or likes, like it doesn't feel like there's like professionalism or it doesn't feel like they're crazies in the the Steve Bannon kind of sense. But it doesn't feel like they're. I don't know. And so um, in the context of Trump, you know, we talk about him being the second most dangerous person in the U.S. With Trump, with the, the, the sort of scholars or the people who know what they're talking about gone, people like Bolton who come in who are a little bit, I don't know, more ideologue, ideologues, that's how they get so powerful. And that's why this is, is so concerning, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Nick? Yeah. Uh Yes, I agree with all of those statements. <laughs> it's um, the the fact that he made his bones um, trying to get the U.S. or uh, being in favor of invading Iraq in the early 2000s and then standing by that statement and that stance when the pretty much every reason that we went in there was either falsified or was completely completely um, uh, erroneous and and uh, horribly decided upon from a strategic perspective. Uh, that's really really worrisome, especially at a juncture where we're talking about potentially meeting with the North Koreans, and then now China gets involved, and then he's still trying to make a point that a preemptive military strike on a country who is immediately next door to one of our biggest trading partners and diplomatic allies, and then also next door to the second largest economy on the planet who happens to be in their corner, that's really, really concerning to me. It's just not good. The the, the fact that Bol- – so looking back on the Iraq war, um, there were <laughs> lots of errors made, right? So we could talk about whether it was lies or whether it was just people who were wrong, right? I think um, I've seen several conservative commentators try to argue that there there weren't lies. They weren't that there were maybe some people within the Bush administration who were being deceptive. But for the most part, a lot of people in the the, the Bush administration meant well. They believed that Saddam Hussein was a real threat and and whatnot. Most of them have come back and and recognized the mistake that was made. And Bolton has not at all has totally doubled down on this. We were right to do it. And it, the idea that he's learned nothing from this and now is going to be put in. So, you know, Nick, you talk about over the past few weeks talking about how it would be insane to do to go to war with North Korea. Mm-hmm. Bolton seems like the type of person who would think that 
it might be insane, but it's necessary yeah. or it's the right, right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the interesting thing for me is that Bolton in many ways is similar to Trump, but also has a very different worldview. So, you know, Bolton goes on Fox News and is abrasive, aggressive, confrontational. And I'm sure that's what Trump loves. But Trump is not somebody who was excited about the Iraq war. He doesn't want to get into other. So you've got this this contrast between Bolton's behavior seems Trump-like, but his ideas and his values are very against if we sort of assume Trump is more of an isolationist, doesn't want to wage a lot of wars. Right. Uh, I could see them not always agreeing on issues. You know, When they start talking about these things, there could be a lot of conflict there. It, um, yeah. it feels like... Go ahead. It feels like he chose Bolton based on North Korea. Right. So mm-hmm. Bolton has argued exactly. for war with North Korea, Trump picks him. And on that particular issue, they're in line. Um, and like you were saying, everywhere else, it's 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 going to be out of line. But that's maybe why it's so scary. If he chose Bolton specifically because of North Korea, right? <laughs> yes. That reveals a lot about the intentions within the administration towards North Korea. Well, the other thing to note is that you know while Bolton had a prominent role in in the Bush administration, as time went by, they isolated him. You know, George W. Bush got got sick of him. Condoleezza Rice was doing everything she could to to get him away from power. So it, over time, even George W. Bush eventually said that this guy was not productive. So not, he was he, he was meaner than that. Right. Yeah. I mean, he like really distanced himself from Bolton, saying yeah. that he thought Bolton was yeah, awful. And, and some of the biggest critics now are coming from those more moderate conservative viewpoints, saying that this guy is is dangerous and we don't want to touch him, which uh, none of those viewpoints are coming from the administration at this point, because all those voices are gone, which is right. really, that, that's really right. Concerning. Uh, Colin Cull, who is uh, was the national security advisor for Biden uh, during the Obama administration, uh, came out and basically tweeted something. He said, we're all going to die. And, you know, this is over the top. <laughs> all right. But, just calm down. <laughs> right. Right. And that's the thing. I, I don't think we're all going to die. But uh, Bolton is an entirely much more aggressive, much more, I should say, less concerned with what anybody else thinks, criticism. And he's very good at the behind the scenes bureaucratic politics. So this is not. Uh, ben Carson, who doesn't know what he's doing. This is somebody who is effective. Uh, he's described as he knows how to kiss up and kick down, right? So he's mm-hmm. awful to work for, but he knows how to uh, make his bosses happy with him. So that's the worst kind of uh, administrator if he's really dangerous. Well, it's, if he has bad ideas. Right, which I, I would imagine he was. <laughs> I, I mean, we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks that there's actually, regardless of whether or not you agree with the rhetoric that's been, you know, kind of put out towards North Korea regarding their behavior, there's something happening where they're trying to reach out on a semi-diplomatic level, whether we're talking about the U.S. or China at this point, and that seemed productive. And now we have this, all of a sudden, this, you know, mustached monkey wrench thrown into the mix (laughs) that just didn't need to be there. Another one of those things where... You just look at it and you almost think that the president goes, you know what, let's really, really just fuck with people for another week. I've got a really good one. Let's see how this goes. Right. It's just, it's bizarre. I, like I, he, you're, He's extremely intelligent, which I guess could be an asset, especially in the administration now where a lot of that, you know, institutional intelligence is gone. But if he starts playing around with his own agenda and Trump agrees with it, that's not a good combination. 
And I think his perception of negotiating with North Korea is that we should negotiate with North Korea to tell them to get rid of all of their nuclear weapons. That's the extent of the conversation. If you choose not to accept our position, you know, then there might be some, you know, might be some bombing. I mean, that, it, that's that's negotiation for him. It's the Iraq war game plan, right? Yeah. It's it's being rolled out again for North Korea. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's he's terrifying in that way. Uh, and, and you would think that there to go back to your earlier point, Phil, that there would be learning. Right. That we would have realized that this kind of rhetoric, this type of individual, uh, shouldn't be brought back into government. But he is, and it's it's in some ways classic Trump. Yeah, there has been learning, right? Everyone else has learned, right? When you talk, when you read Max Boot, when you listen to George Bush, the, the other people who were leaders in that administration with him have learned, and they have pushed him out, and yeah. they have disowned him. So the, the you know the people who have experienced this did learn. It's that Trump, he doesn't he doesn't care, right? He doesn't. Mm -hmm. He Bolton is, uh, you know, he's a he's in line on this one particular policy issue. He's on Fox News, he's you know a talking head. That it's like it checks all the boxes. I think it's fair to say that Bolton will be effective. I, I think the Iran agreement is likely to get torn up now, right? I mean that, that Bush, not Bush, uh, Trump is against that. Uh, Bolton's against that, so he's going to find ground to do that. The question is, what happens in North Korea? I would hope that Mattis. I mean, the, the, he's the only adult left in the room now. Is Mattis to say that this is incredibly dangerous? Mattis apparently was against the appointment. He has to be terrified to think that he's now surrounded by these more extremists, and he's the only one with a more traditional view of U.S. foreign policy. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we can. There is some hyperbole going on out there, but I don't think we can exaggerate the threat that Bolton poses right now. So, do you? So I think Trump is susceptible in the sense that, again, whoever he talks to last, it has the biggest pull with him. So if Bolton has access, he has the ability to sway Trump. But the other thing about Trump is that, it, as it's become clear in the last few weeks, he is not afraid if someone disagrees with him or is unpopular or doesn't fit with kind of how he views things, he'll, he'll oust him. So I think there's also the very real possibility that Bolton's going to be a two-month appointment, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah. so if that's the case, I, I don't. I mean, do you? I don't know. Do you see Bolton f fitting in and gelling in a way that he has that influence, or do you think he? You see? Do you see him rubbing Trump the wrong way, in a way that leads Trump to ditch him? If Bolton – I mean, Bolton is not an idiot, right? He, he knows what he's doing. So if he realizes and recognizes that Trump is this erratic and is smart, he will stroke Trump's right. ego as a way of massaging his positions. He will gut the uh, national security staff that disagrees with him. He'll go after the State Department. There's a lot of things that he can do. Uh, ultimately, I think you're right. Ultimately, Trump gets rid of him because he's too big of a personality. He will draw attention away the way Bannon did. But he can do a lot of damage in the short term. I, I mean, you did Nick. bring up a good point. It's I, I think if he bases it off of personality more than policy, he's probably a very he's he's a master manipulator when it comes to that stuff. If you leave policy at least on the sidelines for the time being and cozy your way up to the president, who realistically, as long as you agree with him up front, doesn't necessarily care about the behind the scenes aspect of it. Um, I, I think he could do a lot of damage to those institutions, you know, whether we see it or not, uh, whether it comes to, you know, an actual 
gunfight at some point. I, 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 I don't know, but I think he's smart enough to know how to play the game. He's been there long enough in enough different positions and enough administrations to realize when he's being too over the top, when he's, you know, he, he has the political leverage to actually do something um, really worthwhile and effective from his standpoint. That's my opinion anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's talk about, I mean, we were talking about in sort of abstract ways, the way this affects the administration and it's scary in real, in a real world application sort of way, how, how much on your meter of the likelihood of war with North Korea, how much does that needle change? Because John Bolton is head is, is national security advisor. It has to go up, right? Yeah. But does it go up from, I mean, like, is it, Again, people we, we've talked about this. People within the um, sort of foreign policy, people who study foreign policy, have been sort of convinced that this is the direction we're going for a long time. So if you're already convinced, and then you add for as your national security advisor a guy who's openly advocating for war with North Korea, I, I, I don't know. I, that seems really bad. It, 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 <laughs> the, the chance of war with North Korea certainly went up this week. Uh, as long as Mattis is still there, he is the most significant adult in the room. He is the one that Trump can't fire, can't you know, can't push back against. And it, it does appear that Mattis is against the war. So I think as long as he's there, the odds of going to war are still. It's it's more likely that we're not going to go to war than we will go to war. But I think you're right that the odds. The National Security Advisor is supposed to be the guy that facilitates conversation. He's supposed to be the one that brings information to the president, not the one with these dogmatic views. Right. So that's really problematic. I still think it's less likely that there's war, uh, but uh, yeah, it's so trending the wrong way. If if next week's firing is Mattis, do you start building your bomb yeah, shelter? Yes, yes, I think we start, <laughs> we start, we should probably start digging now, but yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and the, the other thing is, oh, go ahead, Nick. No, I was just going to say the uh, the canary in the coal mine is going to be whether or not this meeting happens in the next four weeks. If all of a sudden we decide to back out of that meeting with Kim Jong-un and the North uh, Korean regime, that's a bad sign. Because realistically, uh, the president was fairly gung-ho about it for, I mean, we don't really know why. And it's probably felt that way that day. Mm -hmm. But it's now expected. There's some diplomatic cachet to be had from doing this and now you have the Chinese who are playing the same game and we need to do this to create some sort of diplomatic leverage if we decide to back out of this and go a different route I think that's Bolton's influence and it doesn't bode well for a potential conflict down the road I think the other thing is it's not just Iran and North Korea that are relevant with Bolton, but this broader shift and undermining of U.S. foreign policy, this post-World War II consensus that the United States is going to engage the world, that we're going to work through international institutions, that we're going to engage our allies. All of those are things that Trump is against and Bolton is against. You know, Bolton never liked the United Nations. He doesn't like international institutions. Uh, it's a very much an American first. So even though Bolton is more hawkish than Trump, his isolationism and his America first perspective in that way, those two are going to see eye to eye on a lot of issues. But the place they're not going to see eye to eye is Russia, which is where yes. already yes. Bolton yeah. is very anti-Russia. And, yes. so, and if anything, Russia might be the most important 
important litmus test. So I, you know, they might agree on all these other things, but maybe Russia saves us in this instance. It could be. Right? Well, that's right. Because Bolton this week, we were talking earlier that uh, they asked Bolton what, you know, what the response should it be a proportionate response to Russian intervention? And his argument was no, it should be a disproportionate right. response that we should push back and push back hard against Russia, which mm -hmm. is very, very much in contrast to where Trump right. is on that issue. I mean, I think in that particular situation, it almost makes more sense to be disproportionate in response compared to North Korea, because there's at least some measure of reasonableness and mm -hmm. um, mutual understanding of, of how to play the game. And Russia realistically, I mean, from a military perspective, is not the same threat that it used to be. And it's, I, I, I don't know, I see North Korea as a more clear and present danger from a military perspective than Russia could ever be. I think you can push a lot harder against the Russians than you can the North Koreans at this point. It's probably true. Yeah. Should, Thank you. So Russia is one of is like is our next <laughs> is our next topic. Should we do beer and then move on to yeah. Russia? You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Okay. <laughs> Nick, you want to start? Yeah, what, are you, sure. what are you drinking, Nicholas? Oh, it's, it's, it's the thing. Um I actually I found this at the store. It's a two brothers escape. It's a golden ale with pineapple and coconut, and it looked all summery, so I had to have it because it's still like forty fucking <laughs> degrees here. Um, yeah, it's um, it's realistically a sour. That's what it is, with like a hint of coconut and a little bit of sweetness. Um, I feel like I've had a lot of things that taste kind of similar to it. It's not bad by any means. It, it says if you like pina coladas, you'll like this. It doesn't taste like a pina colada. I'm sorry. Pina coladas <laughs> are delicious. Um, yeah, it's 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 fine. It's a it's a kitschy kind of soury thing. It's um it's pretty easy. It's really light. Um, if it was summer and it was like 90 degrees out, yeah, it would be good. But I'm sitting here, It'd be good in in my apartment by myself, and it's been cloudy for like two weeks. So <laughs> it's, it's not vacation. Yeah. Uh, well, we had so we now that we're out in New York, we wanted to have some New York beers, and so we our first bill, uh, beer that uh, Phil and I tried was a Greenpoint uh, beer, uh, which is out of Brooklyn, and it's, it's titled "In All Fairness," which is a dry hopped Kolsch style ale. Um, I liked it. It was uh, it was light. Uh, you said it was a little little sour for you. A little though, bit right? it had a little bit of a sourness to it, but uh, yeah, I liked it too. I don't think I liked it as much as you did. Yeah, um, but it it was good. It was. Uh, uh, I don't know how you how you would what how you what did you like about it? Well, so it, it had it was hoppy, right? Yeah. So a lot of the cultures you don't have that hoppiness, and even on the description on the back they say this really isn't a session IPA. This is a dry hopped Kolsch. Uh, you know, trying to draw that distinction there. So it was it was a good summery beer that had a little bit of hoppiness to it. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was solid. I liked it. I would drink more of it. Yeah. Yeah, our second beer, Phil. I would drink our more. Our second beer is appropriate. I didn't even notice the name of this beer until just now. Did you notice the name of this beer? No. It, <laughs> so this is from Gun Hill Brewing Company, which is in the in Bronx, and the name of the beer is Fog of War. Oh my goodness! It's fantastic. We should have started with that. I know, but here's the where this turns. I would not think that a beer called Fog of War would be a fruit smoothie IPA, which is what this huh. is. I don't know what a fruit smoothie IPA is. But I kind of like it. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It's more fruity than your traditional yeah. Citra IPA, uh, and 
it is more smooth, which sounds weird, but it's not. There's not a whole lot of carbonation in it. Hmm. Uh, it's more citrusy than your traditional. It's not like grapefruity. It is. Oh, is it peach? Are you picking up peach? I, <laughs> I think the guy when he sold it to us said like nectarine or yes, tangerine. Yes, that's or what it is. It's nectarine. Ooh. So yeah, so it's pretty good. I, so it's it's still an IPA, but it's fruity, but not like that weird grapefruit thing yeah. that you made me drink last yeah, week. I love, like, grape, <laughs> I love grapefruit. Oh, this uh, is more my, I don't, I'm, I'm generally opposed to fruit beers, but this, I, I like this. Yeah, this is great. It's got a great can. Uh, fog of war. That was the, uh, Errol Morris on, uh, Robert McNamara movie. Yeah. It even yeah. has make life a declaration. It's very oh, political oh, can. That's good. Like, and, yeah. and again, we've, and Nick and I've been talking about that IPAs, East coast IPAs are very distinct from the IPAs that we get in Chicago. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, again, if you, um, if you want to check out the beers that we try, um, download uh, Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, we're just Barstool Politics. I believe you can leave beer suggestions as well if you'd like. So do that because it's fun. Yes. And beers. Yes, delicious. absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So speed round time, Nick. Mm-hmm. Got the timer ready? Almost. Hold on. Oh, God. That one's not good. All right. Well, it's a long <laughs> description. So, all right. So the United States and their allies expelled a bunch of Russians this week. Uh President Trump ordered the expulsion of 60 Russian officials on Monday, joining a coordinated campaign by two dozen countries to retaliate for the poisoning of a former Russian spy. This felt like the good old days of the Cold War when NATO allies collectively responded to Russian aggression. Uh, Yet this mass expulsion of Russian personnel stationed in the United States was the largest ever eclipsing even the darkest days of the global showdown between the Soviet Union and the United States. Uh, Nevertheless, it appears that Donald Trump is trying to walk a thin line, and he avoided any public condemnation of Russia in the attack. Uh, And if we remember, it was just last week that uh, Trump phoned Putin and uh, congratulated him on his election. (laughs) So I was caught somewhat off guard with this decision, and that it was a thoughtful, strategic, and forceful response to Putin's shenanigans, something the Trump administration has struggled to do of late. Uh, Trump deserves some credit for this. Right, Philip? <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I don't, so, I mean, so yes, it just in a, in a snapshot of, of, okay, Putin has essentially ordered the execution of dissidents. In, you know, this is, this is all stemming from the, the execution of the Russian dissident in, in, uh, England. Um, responding forcefully and strongly to that is great right that is that is in that just snapshot is it's perfect it's a good response the problem is that foreign policy is not just a snapshot mm-hmm. right and so when you combine this with the the praising of putin and the congratulating of putin when you combine this with the fact that he makes no public statement condemning putin for this you start to get this weird inconsistency and so the fact that i'm puzzled by this the fact that i think I don't know what to make of this. Is this a new foreign policy or is this like, does Trump mean this? Is there someone within the Trump administration that has done this and Trump is opposed? The fact that I can't make sense of it means that it's bad foreign policy, right? Right. I'm not saying me. I'm saying that if I can't make sense of it, then what are other governments thinking who are trying to make sense of U.S. foreign policy as well? So. Do, does do they does the Trump administration deserve some credit for more strongly responding? I think so, but you have to do more than that, right? You have to give some context, and you have to. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I feel like it's almost more confusing 
than clarifying. Well, yeah. Nick, mm-hmm. John John Bolton's a national security advisor. I need something. Give me something. <laughs> tell me tell me this is okay. Well, I, I mean, no, I got I have to agree with Phil on this one. Like, we have no clarity on how this decision was reached whatsoever. And I, I'm still fairly unclear on how the coordination between the other, were they NATO or just European countries or just a mishmash of different people? I don't, I, I don't even know at this point. Um, I don't know how that coordination took place or if it was completely serendipitous. Like I, it, it came off really well minus, you know, the Putin thing and not, not saying anything about it. But um, yeah, it, it just seems like it kind of haphazardly happened and it just kind of worked out for the best um i i don't see there doesn't seem to be a lot of strategic depth behind it so it makes me think that this was something that was proposed by the british and was globbed onto by a number of other nations and then the u.s was probably at the tail end of that globbing on and it wasn't a a concerted strategic effort to do this but we responded more strongly than even these these European allies, which is what's so weird. About yeah, that's it, right? also we expelled weird. more people. And, yeah. I, well, I, the other thing, I, let me. I'm going to defend the Trump administration a little bit here. Go, girl. Uh, the U the UK reached out to the United States and said, "We need your support on this." And then Trump went around and called allies and said, "We need you on board." So, you, you know, see, it, I'm it, talking it, like an idiot saying, "I don't know how the hell any of this shit happened," and you apparently have all well, the details. It, it, so please it, 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 enlighten it, us. Well, it it may have only been because he was afraid of going alone. Trump may have been afraid if I go after Putin without having support. So it still may be a self-interested action. But the fact that this is suddenly a coordinated effort where the United States is bringing on these traditional allies to say that what Putin is up to is inappropriate, it it has to happen, right? Somebody's got to push back against Putin. I I think we can go further to your point, Phil, and we can have a more coherent foreign policy, but I was glad at least yeah. there was this one tiny victory. Well, and I, I so I think another aspect to the story that we can talk about is whether or not has Putin finally gone too far, right? I mean, he was so blatant. Mm-hmm. Yes. In, well, <laughs> he's, he's poisoning people, right? Phil. Well, she, yes. But the question is not whether he's gone too far for your moral sensibilities. <laughs> the question is, has he gone too far for the international community? And so um, I, I don't know. It feels like the, that he's... Uh, all of his shit for the last, you know, 15 years, um, I, he, there's pushback, but it, this mm-hmm. feels somehow a little different. And I don't know if it was so blatant the way that he that this was done, the way the Russian embassy was tweeting about it. It it feels like he almost got too cocky. Yes, right? yes. And, and I kind of wonder if maybe this is a turning point in some way. Mm-hmm. I, bullies respond to being pushed against. And so, and I put in as a classic bully. So no, I think that's why this was so important. And again, I think you, you guys are both right in that it's not, it's not going to change Putin's behavior. Trump still needs to directly be more forceful, but it was a step in the right direction. It's, um, I mean, you look at it from a, a domestic perspective, um, talking about Russia, the narrative is, the the complete opposite uh the uh expulsion of the uh russian diplomat or dish, uh, diplomats and uh and nationals was coming on the heels of that um that uh was it a collapse or a fire at that mall in siberia where it was like yeah. 30 yes. people or something died so they're saying the the russians and and putin specifically are saying that this was um you know, coordinated and, you know, that the um, the Europeans and especially the Americans don't care about you and, 
you know, I'm going to go to Siberia and, and talk to people and figure out what things are going on while the rest of the world clearly doesn't care. And this is a, a smear campaign that's, you know, being put together by our enemies. And it's, it's concerning that you can see the parallels between us and them, but it's such a, um, to, to the, uh, to the umpteenth degree over there that he has his complete control of the narrative. And I, I, while I think it's great that we're talking about this and, Obviously, I agree with our perspective. It's worrisome to think that <laughs> <laughs> that um, that there's enough misinformation over there to to still maintain a huge amount of support. I mean, you know, besides the um, completely uh, unfair uh, election that just took place over there as well, it's yeah. it's bizarre. Yeah. It is. It's 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 a, it's a strange, strange development. But so. it, I mean, it's good that. It, it, We've talked about I know we're out of time, but we've talked about this before, about how Russia is um, playing a much bigger role than they deserve to be playing in the international community in Mm -hmm. terms of how powerful they should be and the role that they should be playing. And so that that I mean, that's partly because the international community has allowed them to do that. Right. So if the international community, you know, he he isn't going to get challenged at home. And so he has to get challenged internationally. Nationally, and if if yeah, I mean, it, it is refreshing to see some yeah. level of of pushback. I agree. Speaking of pushback, all right, let's jump to the next topic. Uh, it appears that uh, how did we not start with this topic? I don't know. It's we're going to talk spanking <laughs> and Trump. Stormy Daniels. Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. All right. This last Sunday, the much anticipated sixty minutes interview with Stormy Daniels aired, and we learned a few additional details about the alleged relationship between Trump and Stephanie Clifford. In the category of, I, of quote, I didn't need to know that, uh, Stormy claimed to have been spanked by Trump with a magazine with his own picture on it. No, uh, no, she spanked him right. with a magazine with his own picture right, on right. it. Right, right, I'm sorry, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Stormy spanked Trump right. with a picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and she said it appeared to moderate Trump's behavior. So maybe this is something that John Kelly could try and it would solve some problems. <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, my, uh, while much of what uh, uh, Daniels revealed was already known, she did note that in 2011 she was physically threatened by a man who told her to, quote, leave Trump alone and forget the story. Clifford recall, recalls that he leaned around and looked at her daughter and said, quote, that's a beautiful little girl. It'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. Uh, the White House immediately denied the allegation. Yet it's well documented that Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, can be a bit of a bully and isn't afraid of using a variety of intimidation tactics. I keep coming back to the point that while the Mueller investigation is getting all of the attention, this might be the story that proves most dangerous for Trump. I don't know, thoughts or reactions to the interview, to Stormy, uh, to the storm that is a Bruin. <laughs> oh, God. How long have you been good. drinking in that hotel room? <laughs> did you Did you watch the interview, Nick? No, I didn't. I was apparently one of the only people that didn't because it was their highest ratings in like 20 years or something, right? Really? Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Probably true. Yeah. I, uh, yes. So, I mean, the, the the I I watched the interview. I never watched 60 Minutes, and I I I happened to tune in for this. It's a heck of a show, Nick. Uh, Phil. <laughs> I know how much you love. I know how much you and the seniors love 60 Minutes, Phil. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. I, so it's it's fascinating. I, I watched it. I she is not very she's not a credible. Witness, I agree. Right. I mean, her. But at the same time, I believe all of it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that she's like it, what she's saying is totally believable, even though she is the, uh, just a terrible um, 
you know, source. I mean, she's she's repeatedly said this didn't this didn't happen before she came out and said it did happen. Um, but, you know, there have been a number of people who talked about how she might be. The the the, the perfect matchup for Trump and that she is sort of equally shameless, yeah. right? The, this idea that they're both like they, they sort of are cut from the same cloth yes. in some ways. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the, the, what you're saying about the campaign finance and the paying her off, I mean, first of all, the paying her off, the fact that the Trump administration paid her $130,000 undermines their ability to say that she's lying a little bit, right? If they just hung out and flirted and talked about being on Celebrity Apprentice, you don't need to pay her $130,000. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the campaign finance stuff could end up being, pretty big i mean it might come in sort of under the radar with all this other russia stuff going on right what's what's the likelihood that we actually see evidence of that though like really i I mean that's the only way that this story means one small pile of dog shit like it 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 means nothing until that day comes but i think that's why this is i think that's why this is maybe what i i don't know that it's not it's certainly not bigger than the russia scandal but it might bring Trump down. Yeah, consequentially, it could. Because there is a paper trail, because they have this document that was signed, that because the Trump, because Trump's uh, attorney has admitted to paying one hundred thirty thousand dollars out of his pocket, that that there's pretty straightforward connections to between this and campaign finance law in the ways that the Russia thing isn't as clear cut. Yeah, I think that's a great point. If they link Cohen to this individual who came up and threatened. Uh, Stormy Daniels, it's over, right? So suddenly you've got a president who is using intimidation tactics, unless they can argue that Cohen is so separate and he did this on his own. I, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. The other thing that strikes me is that Trump attacks everyone in Twitter. That's his MO. That's what he does. Whoever his opponent is, he attacks. And this has been much talked about, but why isn't he attacking Stormy Daniels? There's, it's so strange. Hasn't, hasn't tweeted a thing about it. Yes, mm-hmm. he attacks the Mueller investigation. He attacks everybody, Hillary Clinton. There's something, and it could be the potential legal ramification. Who knows what? But he is being so reserved and calculated, and that's not Trump. Mm-hmm. So it suggests to me there there must be either something really big, or I, it's too much to say that he's changing his mo that he's not going to use Twitter to attack people. It, it just strikes me as strange mm-hmm. that of all the people he hasn't attacked, it's Stormy Daniels and Putin. It is weird. I mean, we we've talked about on this podcast a number of times that he is essentially, you know, a reaction machine or whatever, whatever, whatever reflex. Call it. reflex machine, yeah. right? That like so the, he's trademarked Phil Barker. <laughs> I can't even remember what it was, but it was my idea. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, people attack him and he lashes out, right? Whether it's, it's you know, during the campaign when you have, you know, five, uh, these gold star families, yeah. whether it's like people who are like American institutions, John McCain and like stuff that you just, it would be insane to do. But Vladimir Putin and a porn star should be the ones that should be easy to lash out against and nothing. nothing. And she embarrassed him, right? I mean, the other thing is, so in this interview, she talked about that she didn't want to have sex right, with him. Right. Uh, it wasn't very good, right? I mean, so these are things that are shaming that that, that Donald Trump, he hates when that kind of attack yeah. occurs. So this would be the normal thing where he would lash out and he's saying nothing. This is this is really bizarre for me. Uh, and, and the lawyer, we Phil and I have been talking about this the last couple of days, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels is brilliant every day. He brings this. He's on every single cable news show. He every day there's a new legal filing. He is keeping this in the news in a way that the Trump administration just wishes it went away. Mm-hmm. 
Does it go away? It. I don't know. Nick, you you have a better sense of porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> no, like stories and whether they're going to stick around in DC. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I mean, this this feels like even though the Trump administration is doing everything right and Trump is trying to not engage her, the lawyer and Stormy are being very savvy about keeping this story in the news. I I don't know. Like, is the the more time that the more time goes by, the less credible that she sounds, and the more just weird kind of mismatched salacious things. What was the year that the person apparently came up to her and threatened 2011. Like why, what would be the purpose of doing that at that point? Like I'm assuming question. Yeah. The, the timeline doesn't make sense. And it sounds like something she saw in a movie and it was, it, it's, it's just bizarre. Like something about it is, it seems off, which is hilarious mm -hmm. to say in the context of what we're talking about. But yeah. I, there's, I think they're they're trying to keep a story going that people are really interested in because it's tied to Trump, and that's about it. You can say that he's a scumbag and he cheated on his wife and all of that mishmash of shit that everybody talks about already, but to tie it to him from a campaign finance perspective, I think they're going to be hard-pressed to actually tie it to him and for the time being she's getting a lot of business out of it she's doing events and signings and interviews and making a lot of money that she wasn't previously right. not right. saying that it couldn't be true it just seems ugh. I, I don't know it, yeah. ju it just seems weird to me i i don't yeah. necessarily believe it in the complete context that they're presenting it sure so it, it's, this is very it is very bizarro world again that this is that that there is a back and forth between a porn star and the president's attorney yes. on national TV yep. and everyone's just kind of watching for the entertainment yeah. mm -hmm. sake like yeah. I, like what what the hell like what how is I mean, in some ways that I don't anyway, I don't know. This is the this is the perfect like everybody gets mad about like if Obama did this. Right. I mean, you can't even imagine Obama doing this because it's so crazy. Right, right. You know, hush money, porn stars, threats, all of it. I mean, yeah. it is the sort of thing that, that people have complained about. For, we've talked about this again on the podcast as well, that like a president's private personal sex life shouldn't matter um, or should it matter? But it's it's one of those like where a classic stance has been flipped, and that all of a sudden Democrats are saying a private a president's private sexual life should matter, and conservatives are <laughs> suddenly yeah, like defending up. the president. Right? And, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just weird. It's just another way the Trump era is weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, this this leads into our next topic. Um, and uh, I, did you guys know that Phil Barker is now leading Trump's legal team? Uh, so, so on a related note, while Trump's legal worries grow with both the Mueller and Daniels cases, his personal legal team has shrunk to essentially just one member, and he's struggling to find any top lawyers willing to represent him. While working for the president is usually seen as a dream job, a number of leading white-collar lawyers in Washington and New York have repeatedly spurned overtures to take over Trump's defense. Uh, this might have something to do with the fact that he often ignores his lawyer's advice, has a history of not paying his legal bills, and looks to be yeah, he looks to be guilty sometimes, right? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> that is hearsay. Yeah. Just this yeah. week, his longtime lawyer, John Dowd, stepped down when he learned uh, Trump was hiring Fox News contributor Joseph DeGenova and his wife 
Well, apparently, once Trump got a look at DeGeneva and his wife, they met personally, he thought they looked a bit disheveled and not as good as they had looked on TV. Uh, now, so he decided he wasn't going to hire him. John Dodd was already gone. This leaves the president with just one personal lawyer, Jay Sekula, who is a constitutional lawyer with no real criminal experience. During Watergate, Nixon had some of the best legal minds at his side. Uh, do we think Donald Trump is well positioned to take on Robert Mueller alone? <laughs> I don't know if this is going to last five minutes. <laughs> it's. I mean, we've we've we have talked again in previous weeks about how the advice you give to Donald Trump as a lawyer is pretty straightforward, right? You just don't talk. You don't. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, how, how he, you know, Tom talked about this, how he yeah. doesn't listen. Yeah. Um, in addition to not listening, he can't keep legal advice. You know, I guess if you don't listen to your lawyer enough, your lawyers quit, right? <laughs> so on top of not, not doing a good job of listening, he's not even getting the advice at this point, right? Because he doesn't have, I don't I, I mean, I, that seems to make it more likely that he's going to make a stupid mistake. Yes, absolutely. Nick. Yes. Stupid mistakes. I agree. No, it's I, no. go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. You continue. I'm sorry. I was no. going to read his tweet, but you, no, you, no, uh... no. Actually, I want to hear the tweet. Yeah. So, so once these stories broke, uh, Trump solved it all by tweeting and he <laughs> said, uh, quote, many lawyers and top law firms want to represent me in the Russia case. Don't believe the fake news narrative that it is hard to find a, uh, that it is hard to find a lawyer who wants to take this on. Fame and fortune will never be turned down by a lawyer, though some are conflicted. <laughs> the problem is that the new lawyer or law firm will take months to get up to speed, if for no other reason that they can bill more, which is unfair to our great country, and I'm very happy with my existing team. Besides, there was no collusion with Russia, <laughs> except by crooked Hillary and the Dems. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> Just, oh. he is, the stream of consciousness way that he tweets is insane. Yes. Like he talks about how everyone wants to work for him intermixed parenthetically with how all lawyers are crooks and trying to rob yes. you and they're all idiots. <laughs> I, 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 he's the just, greatest. <laughs> he's going to be, I, I mean, in the end, I, we've talked about how it's, it will be hard to, it might be difficult to link him to Russia stuff or to campaign finance stuff. He's, he's, He's going to do it, right? He's going to say enough stupid stuff. It's going to be avoidable for him, but he's going to he's going to screw it up anyway. Yeah, it's it's a ticking time bomb. Either the Mueller investigation, which he's been a bit more careful about, or Daniels, which he's been really careful about lately. It, he's going to he's going to blow at some point and say something. I mean, he's already tweeted a bunch of things that uh, support this obstruction of justice. He, it's only a matter of time. It it and it's it feels like it's kind of again the dial is going up like the sort of craziness the speed with which he's firing people the craziness of his tweets like all of these things seem to be cranking up a little bit and as you and i as bill and i were talking about this afternoon we're only at like a year and a quarter into his first term yeah. so the idea of what's gonna happen if if the election goes badly if he loses if the republicans lose badly in the midterm I, who who if all of the stuff that has happened in the last 15 months yes. Yes. is like it's hard to believe that would ever happen in a in an eight year presidential like yes. in two presidential terms. It's happened in 15 months. It's, it's going to unravel. It is. And the other important thing to note about this is so uh, Jared Kushner has apparently one of the top lawyers in the world. So Kushner is well represented and his father in law is not. Uh, this is a bad place to be. 
Um, and, and Manafort and I mean, other yep. people, they have great yes. lawyers, too. So, I mean, beyond that, it's not just that Trump needs good representation against Mueller. He needs good representation against these other people who are going to be looking to save their own ass and turn on him if if necessary. And, yeah. and even if you don't like Trump, he deserves good legal representation. But he's self-inflicted wounds, right? I mean, he's he's the one who's created this dynamic right. where multiple firms have repeatedly said, we want nothing to do with this. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's awful. If he called you, Bill? Well, I, got, <laughs> I got some time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he says no one would ever turn him down, right? Fame and fortune, you'd do it. It might be a lot of work. Yeah. You've, you've passed the bar, right? I've jumped over bars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, I, I mean, that's the thing. There are probably, I, I mean, the case itself, regardless of what case you're talking about, from a constitutional perspective, I think there's enough loopholes as the president of the United States where you can, you know, claim national security or, or some other sort of special privilege that exists only in his um situation that would ameliorate a lot of the issues that he'll probably face in the near future. Um, I I mean, from a, you know, the other cases, Stormy and anything else that's coming up, you know, you you pay for what you get and he'll pay for something that's worth it. The damage that not only his own brand, but every other brand that he's been associated with is not worth you know what could potentially happen regardless of you know whether you win or not no one is going to touch anything that's attached to the trumps with a 20-foot pole going forward yeah yeah the, the thing that i'm surprised hasn't happened yet is that alan dershowitz seems oh, so desperate right. to be his Ooh. attorney oh can we put and the I, dream team back together that would be awesome. he, I, he tweets all the time in ways that it, it's clear that he would do it and I don't like that seems like a perfect like a celebrity lawyer for Trump. I can't believe that hasn't happened. I, that's, that's that's such a great point. I hadn't thought about that. You're right. He defends him all the time. Dershowitz is, and he's smart, right? He's like a Harvard. Uh, he's he's, a, he's professor. a he's a criminal lawyer. Criminal he's lawyer. It's gonna happen oh, eventually. That would be so uh, much is he fun. too big of a personality for Trump? No, no. He he just hired John Bolton, right? That's true. <laughs> Talking head on TV, yes. famous. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. There's there's got to be some reason. I'm sure they've. They've probed this in some. OJ way. Simpson. <laughs> I'm saying like he could be on the legal team too, right? <laughs> OJ, OJ's, no, he's not back. <laughs> oh god, that'd be so. Much All fun. right, topic number four: uh, gun control. So demonstration uh, demonstrators flooded the streets across the globe in public protest on Saturday, calling for action against gun violence. Hundreds of thousands of marchers turned out in the most ambitious show of force yet from the student-driven movement that emerged following the recent massacres in, uh, at a South Florida high school. Small groups of counter-protesters supporting gun rights also marched in different cities. In Salt Lake City, uh, city demonstrators carried pistols and flags. One, one of their signs read, "We can do. Uh, what can we do to stop mass shootings? Shoot back. That sounds like Texas. That's, that's uh, effective, yeah. Yeah. More than 800 protests were planned in every American state, including in some gun-friendly cities and in every continent except for Antarctica. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. Where the penguins up? To. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, the intractability of the gun debate had many of us convinced, myself included, that nothing would ever get done. Yet the size and enthusiasm of the movement, sparked by the students from the park from Parkland, seems to have created an opening for change. Are you gentlemen believers? No. No. <laughs> Hi Nick, why not? <laughs> it's um, I, I it's uh, it's it's the 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 time issue again. 
uh, not only that, it's it's time and the intractability of everyone else's uh, the opposing viewpoints of the population's whatever opinions. I think I just said too many things that lead into opinions, but. Um, uh, like I was originally worried about, they've turned these kids into political vessels for their own devices from a left-leaning progressive point of view. And then I just got a notification now from CNN that uh, donations to the NRA tripled after the Parkland shooting. So we're getting really? farther and farther and farther apart from each other on this particular issue. And the fact that the Republicans are still in power, whether you agree with them or not, means that you'll probably get some ceremonial, you know, little chunk of flash bump stocks, um, you know, some other sort of banned magazine size, something like that. You are not going to see major legislation come out of this at all. Phil? I'm I'm more hopeful than Nick, but I think that I'm... <laughs> I'm hopeful in a in a long term sense. So I, I I think part of the problem is that w we expect change immediately, and mm -hmm. and change is not going to come immediately, right? The NRA and the the politicians that are elected and the sort of cultural place that we are in terms of guns that does not change easily, and. If you think that one march is going to swing everything, you're going to be sorely disappointed. This mm -hmm. is this requires advocacy and pressure and change for years, right? This is and and so, in that sense, I you know I don't expect overnight for this to change. It's not surprising that there's some backlash that people you know up their donations to the NRA, but I think there are signs of hope in the sense of if if hope if you're wanting change right in that this is a huge number of people and a huge number of young people um i think there is a generational shift right public opinion polls show that the vast majority of americans want not to do away with guns altogether but you know more dramatic gun control measures. Bill and I were talking today, the New England Patriots lended their plane to fly up victims or, or kids from Parkland and their families to the protest. That might not seem like much, but that a major corporation is willing to take a side in this is telling of, of in some sense of, of the way in which there is a little bit of shift. So I think change might come, but that change is going to happen over the course of the next 15 to 20 years, not overnight. And if people expect it overnight and get disillusioned and give up, it's right. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I talked a lot. Sorry. No, no, that's good. I think that in some ways, I think you're 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 both right on this because Nick, I think you're right. In the short term, there's going to be some symbolic stuff, the bump stocks and whatnot. But you think about this young generation of high school students, those that are showing up and protesting, they're going to continue to vote and they're going to grow into their 20s and 30s, and then that is when there could be some more significant shift, especially if these shootings continue. And right. if the, the data suggests that this is going to this has happened, it's going to continue to happen in America. There are so many guns uh, that as each one continues, we're going to push past that tipping point. And it may be 20 years down the road before we see any major legislation. Mm -hmm. But I think we're past that point now where nothing's going to happen, but it is, it's, it's probably still a long ways out. So it, this is, I mean, for listeners who, who care about this issue, this is an example of, I, I think 
people get excited about the march and i and and you should right like yeah. a, you know a million people across the millions of people across the country went out and marched that is telling and that's important it's it's symbol it's symbolic it symbolizes the shift that's occurring but what matters is showing up to vote right mm-hmm. and, and and that means that you have to actually go out and vote for people who are opposed to the nra or who specifically say that they're going to vote a specific way because people who support the NRA are going to show up and vote for pro NRA candidates. So oh, yeah. going out and protesting and making signs is fantastic and it shows some level of the cultural shift. But what matters is what happens in November. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, you, you might be right that we see some sort of major shift in the next few decades, but I don't know that there's enough and it sounds horrible that there's enough death and carnage on top of each other to mount that kind of change. This isn't Vietnam. There aren't tens of thousands of people dying, you know, every year or something like that. And it, I, in my opinion, it takes, it takes something of that level to see drastic, fairly quick change. I think there's enough time between these instances where, political motivations get involved you have enough time to regroup and rebrand and change the narrative and gather enough support from the opposition to really hamper any sort of effort to make significant change i but i'm saying this and i you know i'm being pessimistic i don't agree with it i would love to see some sort of fairly not drastic but fairly you know meaningful shift over the next few years i hope i see that i i I just don't expect to see that. So how about that? (laughs) You know, I I, I do think that the onus now shifts to the NRA to amend their position, because I think long term, if they continue to have this more extreme view of guns and gun regulation, they're Mm going to be in trouble. They've got to find a way of having a more sensible position. Agreed. And if they do that, then the conversation might evolve in a certain way. But I, I think you're right, Nick, that this isn't Vietnam. But for many young people, mm-hmm. you know, in their teens and early 20s, this may be the formative political issue for them. Yeah. Sure. And that may stick. Mm-hmm. And then that that should scare the NRA to say, like, we have to support some kind of regulation. Otherwise, we're going to get snow plowed down the road. Right. So I, I, I think that... I think you're right to an extent, Nick, in that we perceive it differently. But I, I would just look real quickly while we were while you were talking, like something like thirty five thousand gun deaths a year in the United States. Right. right. So in two years, you have more gun deaths in the U.S. than than people were killed in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But it's the way we perceive it. We don't think of it in that. I mean, we just are so used to it and have it's just become a part of American life. And so that's where I, whether that and that's, again, as this this younger um, generation grows up, whether that still is their issue, like for for people who, who grew up in the you know in the '60s, Vietnam and the civil rights movement mm-hmm. became sort of their formative issues. I don't know. I don't know if this yeah. will be it or not. It feels like it's a possibility. I, I mean, it, it is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Those. I mean, that's that's a good point. I, I guess the the counter to that I would say is the you know those. Gun stats are are not new or shocking in any way. That's been the pattern right. for yeah. decades at this point. So, right. why is it only an issue when, you know, kids in a suburban middle school or elementary school or high school get killed? You know, uh, uh, it's you know it's horrible to say, but a few dozen when 
you know, you have that many getting killed on a regular, on a, a daily or weekly basis in the inner city yep. and all of yep. the major cities in the U.S. Like, I, 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 again, hope this is the catalyst for some sort of change. I, it, it, it bugs me that we can't look beyond these kind of formative events and see the underlying, you know, nitty gritty issues of what's going on on a daily basis and make that the focus. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. All right. I'm excited about the final topic. Not because I think there's going to be good discussion, but I just think this is so darn interesting. So, <laughs> bulletproof, slow, and full of wine. Kim Jong Un's. Is, is it me? Yes. <laughs> Kim Jong Un's mystery train. A mysterious North Korean train made its way to China this week, leading some to speculate, which actually was the truth, that Kim Jong Un had made a secret diplomatic visit to China. Uh, while we don't know a lot about the visit just yet, here's what we know about his awesome train. Each of the carriages is bulletproof, making them thousands of pounds heavier than the average train. Uh, the additional weight translates to a slow ride. The trains are estimated to reach a maximum speed of just 37 miles per hour. You could almost run faster than that, Phil. Uh, <laughs> In Kim Jong-il's time, according to a 2009 report, 100 security officials traveled in the advance train, searching for bombs and other threats and uh, testing the safety of the track. Additionally, military helicopters and airplanes would fly ahead to provide more security. 20 train stations have been built across North Korea just for the leader's personal use. On the train, Kim's father... Um, uh, could order any dish of Russian, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, or French cuisine. Mr. Kim insisted that live lobster and other fresh delicacies be delivered to the train as it crossed Siberia on trips to Russia. Cases of Bordeaux and Burgundy wines were flown in from Paris. When bored, Mr. Kim relied on a group of female entertainers known as, quote, lady conductors <laughs> to serenade him in Korean and Russian. They are the greatest All right, now here's the question. people ever. <laughs> Yes. So, gentlemen, <laughs> if given the option, would you prefer yes. to share a cup of filet fish with Trump on Air Force Force One or or slow ride it through the Korean countryside, enjoying the world's finest wine and cuisine with Kim Jong-un and his bulletproof mystery train? I would give up my U.S. citizenship now to be that person. <laughs> <laughs> so you're voting mystery train. Yes, mystery train, please. Yes. <laughs> Bill Barker. <laughs> well, if I had to prefer a means of transportation, that sounds pretty fantastic. Yes. But what a dick. Yes, like, yes. No, I mean, I, I would I think I would choose the filet of fish with Trump. At least he's, you know, democratically elected and it would be over quick. And it's That's the true. most American of American meals that you can have. One. That's true. Air Force One is pretty fancy as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. This is go ahead. I don't, I don't even know where. <laughs> why not just fly somewhere? We why travel him. 30 miles an hour? The, the Kim Jong-il and Oons are afraid of flying. So I, I, they... It's, no, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. And I don't think North Korea makes the best planes. So um, That's true. Yeah. They make a solid I, train. Yeah. I'm honestly a little surprised that there are train tracks that connect with neighboring countries out of North Korea. Well, I mean, you heard the cuisine. It's nothing but communist countries on there besides Japan. And France. For some reason. And, uh, and, France. and France. Yeah, I said communist countries. Yeah. So wait, your, your point holds. 
it's just, like they're just such it would be so much fun being a dictator but they're just such assholes yeah. like you're gonna create 20 train stations just for yourself it's insane I, um, but it sounds fun it would be lady conductors. it would make him it would make him an asshole if he were like the king of Saudi Arabia, well, any country, right? But the fact that he is like leading a country where people are starving to death and there is no money yes. and that it just makes it exceptionally that that much worse. Yeah. And, and as bad as I think Donald Trump has been as a president, he is not Kim Jong-un in terms of that kind of excess. No, and and that, distinction, that distinction needs to be yes, you know, maintained. And yeah. <laughs> uh, the other, the other interesting side to this is the fact that Kim Jong-un felt the need to, the, for the first time as leader to leave the country mm -hmm. and have this diplomatic conversation with China. He's feeling some pressure. That's remarkable yeah. to me. He hasn't left North Korea prior. Seven I mean, years. As leader, as yeah. leader. Mm -hmm. why, why would you? It's, it, you know, it's, there's so much there. You can just ride around on your train, like, forever. You have every, you have live lobster, damn it. Yeah, you're fine. Right. right. Why, why the secrecy? Like why? Why? I mean, once he made it to China, it it made the news that he was there and meeting. Why was it so quiet the lead up to this? If you're going to, so if you're in the United States and you know Kim Jong Un is on a 37 mile an hour <laughs> right. train, good point. This is pretty easy to take out. Yeah, you can ride a moped <laughs> up next enough. to it. It'll be fine. So, Air Force One, when it is in the air, if somebody launches a <laughs> missile at it, it has like heat seeking things to divert the missile. A 37 mile an hour train, that's that's on a fixed track. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and then the the South Koreans that you know are saying they have a hit squad ready to go get him too. Like it's it's not. Yeah, I I yeah. understand. Yeah. The, the secrecy, yeah. I completely understand. He's one of the most hated people on the planet right now. So it yeah, does sound yeah. fun. What, what, do you think, what do you think they're talking about? Uh, I, I, I think that North Korea wants to continue to keep China and South Korea somewhat pulled away from the United States, right? And so I, there's no way North Korea gives up their nuclear missiles. I, just, I, I will not believe that in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. But if they can continue to have a good relationship with China— and continue to have a good relationship with South Korea, it makes the United States' job of trying to coordinate against North Korea more difficult. So that, that's my thought on all of this. Mm -hmm. You assure your allies. John Bolton will solve it all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it'll... it'll they... Uh, as much as you make fun of the North Koreans, they are... They're very strategic and, and know how to play the game, especially right now. Bring in China at the last minute... Uh, after Trump said that he would meet with the North Koreans, that's a huge move and re-solidifies a, a, um, an alliance that was, it was kind of teetering. You know, mm -hmm. China was um, agreeing to more forceful sanctions against the North Koreans and trade was dipping and they were a thorn in China's side. So uh, re-solidifying that is... I mean, it, it throws another monkey wrench into the system that wasn't there before. And to pull them away from that is going to be very, very difficult and have any meaningful um, diplomatic change happen. So, yeah. yeah. North, North Korea is a rational actor and they're behaving in rational ways. And um, I'm not, ex I don't know, I think very little is going to come from any kind of conversation between the United States and North Korea, but um, they're they're be behaving strategically. So. Mm -hmm. he. We just finished a story about a super heavy 37 mile an hour train 
with live lobsters and lady conductors. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about how North Korea is rational. <laughs> I totally agree with you, but it's just a good contrast. No, I know. That's right. Oh, this uh, is fun, gentlemen. That is this a good is... one. Um, yeah, guys, uh, like we said at the beginning, if you like the podcast or you want to leave us questions or suggestions or talk about beer, uh, you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, like us and share us on iTunes. That's how we help uh, to make this grow. Um, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Uh, Beers We Try, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. Um, and then other podcasting platforms, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, pretty much anywhere where you can find a podcast, you can find us. So share us Blueberry. with your friends. Blueberry. Blueberry. I forgot Blueberry this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll put a different one in there next week when I look at it. Um, anything else, guys? No, we're good. Awesome. Have fun out there. We'll 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 Thanks. do. You have fun, Nick. Yep. <laughs> Talk to you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>